0: Welcome in to another episode of First of the Floor. Ben Vallis here. Thank you for joining us. Hope you're doing well. Alongside me is Jake Eisenberg, and we're really plunging into the off-season isolation here. The draft is in a week, but we've got to entertain ourselves in the meantime. So we're kicking off a series that we're going to run. Throughout the offseason, called "Getting to Know Your Celtics Media," which is a working title. Suggestions are welcome. And tonight, we're very happy to welcome our first subject for this series: reporter and writer for CLNS Media, Boston Sports Journal, and Celtics Blog. It's Bobby Manning. Bobby, welcome. How you doing, mate?
1: Hey guys, great to be finally on here. I enjoyed watching you at uh, 2 a.m. After yeah. <laughs> a late night, game. yeah,
0: <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, a foray into the the CLNS network, uh, and Jake also joining us, who does have to jump off in about fifteen uh, minutes to jump on another pod, the very great uh, Backdoor Cuts pod. JK, doing man?
2: I'm good. I'm good. Um, I'm in the midst of my thirtieth um, year old celebrations this weekend, so um, we're we're moving slowly, but we're we're now Bobby's here. He's energized me. <laughs> any any semblance of a hangover is is now gone, and ready to ready, ready
1: to rip in. Yeah, it's that time of day over there. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm in my prime right now. Those those basketball games got me, you know, in in my most energetic state at 10:30 at yeah. night. Now it probably last till 1 a.m. <laughs> uh, glad to hear. It.
0: And Bobby, what have you been doing to keep yourself busy now that the the Celtics content machine is dried up?
1: Yeah, there's been a lot of rumors popping up, obviously. So I've been writing quite a bit since the season ended. Uh, You know, the finals were good. I was, you know, podcasting a little bit about that. Um, But mostly just prepping for stuff. And, uh, you know, I think the Celtics are probably going to be busy to some degree this offseason making some changes. I don't think anything dramatic is going to happen here. Uh, But, you know, the offseason, you you lay low for a few days. You chill and then all of a sudden it's like another season starting once the draft comes around. yeah, It's just a week away now.
0: Yeah, well, let's get into some of those rumors. So Brian Windhorst on ESPN, I'm going to quote him here. If Bradley Beal gets traded between now and next Thursday, I think people are going to be very surprised at the price and potentially how low it's going to be because his contract is not attractive. Uh, And then league sources, this is per uh, Brett Siegel of ClutchPoints.com, said that they believe Brad Beal is obtainable for two first-round picks. And matching salaries, um, and it's important to note that Brad Beal has a, a no trade clause as there as well. So there's that trade rumor, and then there, as we heard earlier today, the Isaiah Isaiah Stewart trade rumor as well, aka Beef Stew. The Celtics are potentially digging around there uh, around the possibility of obtaining Isaiah Stewart. Of those two, we'll call them rumors, trade rumors. Bobby, which two do you think, or which one rather, do you think has the most validity?
1: I think obviously the Isaiah Stewart one. You know James Edwards put that out there. He's he's great on the Pistons side, and mm-hmm. uh, he threw at the end of there that he doesn't see the Pistons moving. Stewart, I, I do wonder what the trade-off's going to be for that team as they try to start to get a little bit competitive here. You know they've been tanking for a few years. Cade Cunningham will be coming back. Uh, I wonder if a guy like Malcolm Brogdon would make sense for them. I think that's probably what the Celtics would have to offer to make something like that work. Uh, it, Grant to me doesn't move them enough. Isaiah Stewart's a talented center who's shown some great upside here. He started shooting threes last year and got to 32%, shot four game. A physical rebounder, defender, a little undersized at the five, but a guy I think that still has some upside at 21 years old. So, I... Definitely see the Celtics being in on big men like that who project to not only su- supplement their uh, depth at that position now, but allow them to have a guy into the future who they can work around because the sc- stopgap, Daniel Tice, 2022, Mike Mascala this year, not only did it not help much when Robert Williams and- went down or Al Horford was taking nights off and such, uh, the playoffs especially, you didn't see much of Tice or Mascale in the moments where it mattered. You need something that's a little more sustainable here. And it feels like Grant Williams is gone to me. So, if anything, that was going to be the guy who, after Horford ages into the bench and after uh, you know Robert Williams becomes a starter, who's your second guy who supplements your depth at that center spot? And Grant would have been that guy if they could have got a deal done with him. And now, looking at the finances and the money that might be out there this summer and you know how they used him last year, he just might be too expensive for what he is on this roster. So uh, downsizing the salary on the roster is going to be something they have to do at some point here. And if you can do that while getting a cost control piece like Stuart, who's making $5.2 million next year, that makes a lot of sense to me, and I can't think of some names off the top of my head if they can't get Stuart or in a similar place. Um, but given that Grant's probably going to be out the door here in my mind, you do need something in that front court to supplement your centers.
2: Yeah, I wonder if it's like if they're planning to lose Grant, that's why they're poking around someone like Stewart. Because, and and you said Bobby, like how they used Grant, they didn't really. Joe didn't appear to feel comfortable using Grant like Ime did. Um, you know, he's always kind of been that tweener. He doesn't quite really – you don't really feel super comfortable going to Grant at the five, and he hasn't no, been – No,
1: they never really did this year. Yeah.
2: I'm, I'm I'm, I'm still surprised I didn't go to it more to at least just see if it was possible. Like a Grant-Tatum like kind of 4-5, or like that's – you would think kind of enough size. Like Tatum rebounded so well this year, um, and then you get in like Jalen and – and you gain rebound to to kind of clean up the boards, but and you, and you spread it out, but they just didn't go to it. Spoony in the chat here, it's a good point. Like I know James Edwards said that they weren't thinking of moving Stewart, but you think about that front court. Like they traded for Wiseman last year, so clearly the front office like wants to see what they've have there. Uh, Duran, who they drafted last year, was a monster, like monster yeah. all season long. Like he's he's the starter, and then they. I don't know, classic Pistons, they signed Bagley to like a pretty big money deal for multiple seasons. So that's three guys that play kind of Beef Stew's position. I know he's playing a little bit more of the four with like, you know, stretching out to to shoot more. But like, I feel like his best position in the league is going to be at the five, right? Like he's not really a, a versatile four man.
1: Yeah, and if they want to take a step, a guy like then makes sense for them. It's someone who can just put the ball in the basket. They, they need that right now, and he does bring some playmaking to the table there. It's a position a strength of strength for the Celtics. Uh, front court, a little bit of a position of weakness right now. So you think you're trading uh, an abundance on Detroit side for an abundance on Boston's side. It, it's a trade that makes some sense to me, and obviously there's a salary difference there. Pistons have cap space. Celtics uh running a luxury tax bill right now. So there's also a differential right there that you could talk about. Mm-hmm. So I don't know, maybe it's something the teams can circle back on uh and maybe the Celtics can compensate Detroit a little bit more here for, you know, probably I don't know, I don't want to call it a negative value contract in Brogdon's case, but it's a big contract that they'd be taking on in Detroit. Um so maybe there's some compensation that Boston needs to throw on top of him. Um this is just the kind of haggling I think that goes on in the off season.
2: I'm surprised you haven't mentioned your boy Cornette. Do we need to be trading? Do we need to be trading for a third? Big is the third big sitting right in front of us. Luke Cornett is ready
1: to give them regular season minutes.
2: <laughs> in Detroit.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> He's ready to give anybody minutes. I love Cornett. I you know, you mentioned Grant not go. being as, you, you mentioned Grant not playing any center this year. Blake didn't play at all in the postseason outside of that little stint against Atlanta. Yeah, that Hauser state. didn't play at all against Miami. There was a lack of creativity on this team this year, particularly in the playoffs, that is a little frustrating, especially when they didn't. It's not like they went all in on the regular season. They lost the one seed. You know, They were taking some games off at the end. There were some spots where it felt like, you know, try to work some guys in, try to experiment a little bit. And then you're throwing Pritchard in the games in the postseason where he's just standing around out there he's not involved in any meaningful way so that's one of a number of things out of the postseason that became a little frustrating is that none of those bench guys Mascala, Cornet, Pritchard, Hauser could play any role, Griffin and it's not like those guys didn't play well during the year.
0: So then is there another potential trade that you think Celtics fans should be looking at that might address that that lack of creativity off the bench?
1: You could try to consolidate a little bit and um, and get a guy that uh, would be able to eat more minutes with a little bit more trust um, from the from the bench. And I, I don't have a name off the top of my head. A guy who intrigued me at the deadline was Alec Burks, another Detroit mm-hmm. guy uh, who I think's you know on a ten and a half million dollar contract. There's something you could probably easily match with a couple guys off your bench if you want to consolidate a little bit. Pritchard's a guy who I think in a deal like that makes some sense for the other team, a guy with a little more upside youth, uh, you know, he's in the fourth year of his contract as well. So he will need an extension uh, this summer, but, um, that's pretty much what they have to offer. There's a guy like Pritchard Gallinari's contract. Obviously he picked that up today. I don't know how much value that'll have, but it is the significant salary off the bench about 7 million. So if you just need money to throw into a deal, that's, that's something you can do as well. Uh, but A lot of the money that's going to be moving for the most part, I think, this summer are going to be significant contracts that teams are trying to get off of. Chris Paul seems like San Antonio is the destination there. You know, we all kicked around that a little bit with the Celtics and it's intriguing, but I just feel like at 38, that's just too short-sighted in my mind. Yeah,
2: I
0: agree. Yeah, the
1: idea of it's fun, but not. No, yeah, it's just a, a couple years ago. It's too late. You're right.
0: Ship has sailed. I, I do want to circle back on the idea of a Beal trade to the Celtics just yes. for a second. And I, so, a couple of things. And I, I was surprised how quickly dismissed the whole concept was on all the podcasts I, I listened to today and articles that I've read. Uh, and also, in particular, that in all the hypothetical scenarios where the Celtics would acquire Beal, that Jalen Brown was included by default as as part of that trade package. And yet, there exists several avenues, in pockets of salary that the Celtics currently possess that they could package into a trade uh, to make the the salaries work in, in a trade with the Wizards for Beal. Uh, and you add to that that Beal has this no trade clause, which is kind of the the fulcrum in our leverage, if you will, in in making this potentially work. And then finally, pepper on, sprinkle on the fact that Jason Taylor, oh, yeah. Bradley Beal, are good buddies, and maybe. Beal could be coerced. Obviously, a very speculative here. Beal could be coerced into <laughs> steering the Wizards towards only dealing with the, with the Celtics there. Um, and then you add in the fact, just to, to finish the point here, do you maybe feel motivated to make that trade if you're the Celtics just because you don't want to see your close opponents like the Heat or the Bucks, for example, get better by a way of acquiring Beal themselves?
1: I do worry about being on the Heat. Hey, that's a formidable team that becomes that much stronger if they land him. Especially when you think for a guy like Hero who didn't play at all in the postseason, and they still went to the finals without him, and a guy like Robinson who plays sparingly for them. Uh, if they're healthy, probably not at all. So you're basically turning nothing. You know, Robinson was okay in the playoffs, but next to nothing into an all NBA caliber player who's going to be playing next to two great playmakers. Beal is awesome off the ball in the, in the incarnation of a trade you you mentioned where it'd be other pieces, not Brown going out for him. And then you make it a big three. That's a nice starting lineup with, with white. If you were sending out smart salary and the three wings, and then, you know, your centers there, it's just, I guess three things. Give me pause there. Obviously, Beal's recent play in the injuries is, is the first thing you think about. You can probably get around that. And I do think in a new situation, he's going to look much closer to that all-NBA player he was before, once again, along with some motivation, I think, to play for something at that point. Um, though, number two you probably only get a year out of that core with how expensive it's going to get once Brown's contract kicks in. And then, you know, who you train at that point? Beal still has a no trade clause when he lands on a new team. So he's difficult to trade already from Washington's position. If you're Boston and you know, you don't accomplish what you want to next year, all of a sudden you're in a much less flexible situation, the mm-hmm. following off season to try to make some changes. And then on top of that, when we will talk about this team's issues, The two stars being more score first guys, not having the playmaking you need and the ball just getting stuck in and almost turning into my turn, your turn a little bit. I'm going to give Beal more credit um, than other people because I do think he's such a great off ball mover. Maybe the best off ball mover I've seen in this league at his best. Uh, He's such a great shooter. So if he's in those catch and shoot positions, you love that. And he is a great secondary ball mover that if that was your team, you could make it work. But is that a good plan, especially long-term for your team? It's tough, I think, to commit to it, especially where you're giving up a smart, who I think is going to be key to kind of sustaining depth under this new CBA. He signed through 2026. That's a real advantage, I think. Uh, You know, you, you have your other supporting cast alongside like Brogdon, who I don't think you just throw away this offseason. You know, we get back into that debate of do you just run this back? This would be a good way to really shake up the roster and consolidate talent so that you have these three high, high high-level scores the teams are going to have to deal with night in and night out. It'd be a lot of talent for opposing teams to guard. It's intriguing. It's intriguing, but... It's expensive, and it's what a one-year try at a title, and then after that, it gets really challenging. I just don't think it's yeah. enough of a guarantee that you get that no. title.
2: I think, and I think what's potentially more likely if you do trade for Beal is that you're moving off Jalen before you're moving off Beal You Because yeah. if because if Tatum because would, this would be, I think Tatum driven because a lot of the reporting right now is that like the Celtics aren't in on it and. I don't know it kind of feels like the Celtics aren't in on anything until they are at the last second with Brad, especially as opposed to Danny, who is the opposite and he's in on everything and then wasn't in a lot of the right, time. Remember the
1: Harden saga? Yeah, yeah, exactly, <laughs> yeah.
2: exactly. So, so I I don't really buy into like that really one way or the other. But the idea of like Beal's assist to turnover ratio is much better than Jalen's. He's a much better playmaker. Um, definitely has his own turnover issues as well. But like this team's biggest issues, like it's it's the crunch time offense specifically. But the reason they didn't win the title last year against the Warriors and didn't get through Miami was way more to do with the offense than it was to do with the defense. The defense wasn't as good as it should have been this year, no question. But the problem was they could not score. They the offense just like as good as it looked. Early in the season, the off ball cutting, the movement, all that stuff went away and they fell back on those habits again. And so, like I like you said, doing a big shakeup. I do wonder if they need that big shake up. And man, that Beale, Tatum, Jalen lineup would just be devastating. Like there's and and, and part of why I think you might need to really consider it. Miami seems to be the front runner according to the, to the reports, but they're, they're, Pat Riley's like Danny Ainge and that he's in on every star and hasn't gotten anything done lately. But if Miami is able to do like a Duncan Robinson, freaking and nothing for Bradley Beal deal, and all of a sudden it's Beal, Jimmy, and Bam, that is a real problem.
1: It is. Yeah. Especially since this Heat team already beat you with what yeah. they have now. Yeah. I think they'd still have a little bit of money probably if they decide to go into the second apron to keep Gabe Vincent, which I do think would be important at that point. You definitely lose Struce. Uh, and then of course you're giving up Robinson and Hero and you know, you you may be keeping Lowry for some depth at that point, or maybe you're flipping him for something else. But it's 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 a great system that you now all of a sudden have the talent to win with. Which last year, it's a great system with some players that you're like, oh, how are they getting it done with those guys? If it's B.O. Butler and Bam running all of those handoffs and creating the quality of shots that the Heat did, it's going to be prolific. I mean, this was like the 26th ranked offense last yeah. year. So this is a team that owns you to some degree. And now they're getting better and you're probably getting a little bit worse just before we start to consider any moves that the Celtics might make here if you assume that Grant's gone. You're in a tough spot going into next year, I think, and I'm sure some other teams in the East will be trying to improve as well. I could see a field moves the Bucks looking at a guy like Christoph Porzingis to replace Brook Lopez. Um, you know, does Philly move for a Kyle Kuzma and trade that um, Tobias Harris contract at that point? There's going to be some effects of Beal moving in other places, I'm sure. And, you know, the Knicks are going to be active, too, uh, trying to improve on what they have right now. So uh, the East is going to keep getting better here. It's going to keep getting more competitive uh, if it's healthy next year, you're dealing with that Bucks team again. If Harden's back in Philly, all of a sudden, and that's a team that was so close to beating you, uh, so you're you're going to have tons of competition here, and you got to find ways in your own right to improve. Doesn't mean you force a B.O. deal. And I don't know what would that trade look like. Smart Brogdon?
2: Well, you, do, you, you, you just you just you just do Brogdon, Gallo, Muscala, Pritchard. You do all like you
1: just you do the filler, right? You're, you're trying to outbid the heat, though, so you know they but can is, throw in a hero. But, that, but that's, that's where if, the no trade
0: clause yeah. comes in. That's where Buddy Beal and Buddy Tatum get together and say, "Hey guys, this is this is what we're doing. This is how it's going to happen. Just make yeah, the salaries yeah. work. This is the that's only place we're going."
1: I, I think it's more likely that he has a number of destinations he'd be okay with, and he's not really trying to force himself anywhere. And of course, the Wizards do need to get their appropriate return back. It's kind of a two way street here that, yeah, he does choose his destination, but they could also just choose to bring him back mm-hmm. uh, for another year. So I, I would be surprised if he says I'm going to the Celtics and nowhere else. Um, as, despite the friendship with Tatum here, Come because on. You know, I saw some reporting today that, you know, <laughs> Miami's a place he's been looking at for a long yeah. time. Yeah. Uh, and who isn't? Yeah, of course. Uh, so, yeah. So, uh, it, I, I definitely, if I had it, bet on it right now I think he is in that heat uniform next year it's a disaster uh, it's just, yeah it, 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 it's, it's just too much of a commitment if you're the Celtics and then on the other side like you said you may be trading Brown the following off season yeah. is Brown in an even smaller usage position on the team next year in that case he already had frustrations with his role this year clearly uh, it, it's 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 intriguing, but not enough for me to say go do this.
2: No, like I don't think it actually makes in a vacuum that much sense for the Celtics to do it. The problem is, if the Heat or the Bucks get Beal on like one of these crappy like if they get if the Heat get Beal with this deal that's proposed, and then they, all of a sudden they've got this Beal, Jimmy, and Bam big three, and I'm not worried about their depth because they just find guys. They have this system. They have the coaching. They're that is going to have the next Gabe Vincent, the next Caleb Martin going to come out of nowhere. Not worried if they lose right. a bit of depth. They'll they'll replace it somehow. And that's yeah. the team. I'm like I'm still I know you know the East keeps getting better. I'm still the Celtics are always there. By hook or by crook. It's not pretty. It wasn't pretty again this year, but they were they were in game 7 of the conference finals again. They were in the finals the year before that. Like they are the preeminent team kind of. It's like it's been them in Miami really for the past 5 years. And so I still think the Celtics are going to be right at the top. The the Bucks have their own issues with losing Lopez. Middleton had another surgery after the season ended. Uh, if the, I mean, I think the Sixers are cooked at this point. I think if they couldn't get it done this year, that was like the best team they've had in the Embiid era. Like, if you lose Harden and you get Beale, are you in really the same place? I don't think. Or if you keep Harden, you don't get Beale, Their ceiling's capped with Harden as their best player as he gets older. But this Miami thing, that really freaks me out. It
1: does. <laughs> yeah, and the other thing I'll mention is. The other reason you might think about doing it is that right now the way the roster is constructed, you're you're still concerned about those non-Tatum Brown-led bench minutes that yes. killed this team last year. All of a sudden, those are Brown and Beal minutes with Tatum sitting, or you know, switch any of those three guys. You're always going to have two of those guys on the floor at any given time, so ball won't be in Brown's hands needing to make those plays in a game seven where Tatum's you know turning his ankle. So. That's a creative way, I think, for the team to get better in an off season where they don't have a lot of outlets to do so. Uh, so, I'm not going to cover it off completely. I just I have enough pause with it for me to say no. If you really made me choose yes or no on something like that.
0: Yeah, I um like Jake. You mentioned the scoring issues for the Celtics, and that might be why the Celtics dive in and make this move. But I would still just love to see the Seas rediscover their def- defensive yeah. identity, which I know is it's kind of becoming a cliche at this point. Whoop! Are you still gonna say <laughs> <Bobby>? <laughs> <laughs> we had a water incident.
2: Um, Jardim, you <laughs> talked about the, the defensive identity for Bobby, and Bobby's throwing his water around. Yeah, we got, we got excited there. Uh, that's good. And you're that's on mute, story. Bobby. Just say so your name. Know. You're on mute,
1: <laughs> Bobby, now as well. <laughs> I yeah. got so upset about the defense last <laughs> <side too.
0: laughs> year. Been there. Yeah. And then you add in the fact that, yeah, so the, the no trade clause is probably the one thing in the Celtics favor in terms of having the advantage to make that work. But I think ultimately the fact that he holds to that no trade clause uh, is what, stops us from doing it because yeah great we can acquire him a year down the road the new cba becomes extremely prohibitive and we have no choice then but to move on from Jalen because we can't move bradley beal essentially so i think that's maybe what stops them from doing it um in the end i think we should probably move on and if you want to hear more of that discussion like tune into the garden report that the bobby and the guys recorded um earlier tonight because they they break that down a little bit more in depth Um, we want to move on to the, the meat of this podcast getting to know your Celtics media. I think Jake's going to duck off here because he's got a 30th birthday celebrations to get to. Jake, thanks for joining us.
2: Yeah. I appreciate you like meeting you virtually, Bobby. I've been listening to you <laughs> back when uh, you were doing like halftime shows with Kungu on uh, Twitter. So I've been, been following you for for a while. and It's been awesome to have you on and, Mate, well, hopefully we'll see you at Summer League one day. The Aussie boys are going to get out there eventually. Yeah, so. it's, it's it good. is
1: it is such a great event. I'm I'm so excited, already to go there and potentially see Wembenyama. I still don't know yeah. if that's going to happen. Fingers, Fingers crossed. We're <laughs> hoping
3: for the best.
2: All right, <laughs> pleasure, dudes. Have a good and one, Jake.
3: Take a fast break to FanDuel during the NBA playoffs, because right now new customers can get a no sweat first bet up to one thousand dollars. That's one thousand dollars back in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. You gotta get the app. The app's the way to go, and it's so easy to use. You get great promotions every day with the app. It's safe and secure, and you get paid instantly. How about that? Instant cash with the FanDuel app. There's no better place to bet all your playoff action than America's number one sportsbook. Visit fanduel.com slash boston and get a no sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's fanduel.com slash boston. FanDuel, official sports betting partner of the NBA. Twenty-one plus in select states. First online real money wager only. Ten dollar deposit required. Refund issue is non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in fourteen days. Restrictions apply. See full terms at fanduel.com sportsbook. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. Gambling problem. Call one-eight hundred GAMBLER or visit fanDuel.com slash RG. Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, and Virginia. 1 800 NEXT STEP or text NEXT STEP to 53342 in Arizona, 1 888 789 7777 or visit slash chat in Connecticut. 1 800 9 with it in Indiana, 1 800 4700 or visit KSGamblingHelp.com in Kansas, 1 877 770 Stop in Louisiana, GamblingHelplineMA.org or call 800 327 5050 for 24 7 support in Massachusetts. Visit www.mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland, 1 8 Hope NY, or text Hope NY at 467369 in New York, one 800 in Wyoming, or visit www.1800gambler.net in West Virginia. Now let's get back to the show.
0: All right, Bobby. So like we said up top, like the, the whole purpose of this pod, uh, especially during the off season is just for fans to to get a better insight into the folks that that cover the Celtics. Uh, so we're thankful that you're joining us to be subject number one um, for this for this off-season series. So we'll get into your career a little bit and sort of where you, where you came from career-wise and how you got to where you are now. So you're from Peabody, Massachusetts. Is that right? Did my research? Yep. <laughs> okay. And you started writing uh, sports blogs about the Red Sox, the Bruins, Patriots, Celtics, all the Boston sports teams for anysportsblog.com in 2012. When did you realize that you wanted to cover the Celtics for a living? Was there a moment in the Celtics themselves, a game or, or an event that sort of inspired you to, to want to do that?
1: So it goes back to 10 years ago, actually, uh, when the Celtics lost to the Knicks uh, in that playoff series and ended the big three era and they trade Garnett. We were coming up on a you know 10-year anniversary of them trading Garnett and Pierce. Uh, and, you know, pivoting to the rebuild and Brad Stevens and all that. So that following year, I grew up a big Red Sox fan. I grew up a baseball guy, you know, so around that time, I'm still, you know, baseball still my go-to, but I started to get more into the Celtics through that East run East finals run in 2012 and, you know, the 2013 season, I followed pretty closely. So, you know, they're starting this rebuild and the tickets, of course, start going down to like $9. You, know, you could show up and I was in high school at the time, Me and my friends would just, you know, take the train into Boston, go to the ticket window, you'd get $9 tickets. The place would be pretty empty, could move way up. And so I ended up going to, you know, a dozen or so games that year for really cheap, sitting pretty close, you know, watching the team game in and game out. Uh, You know, all of a sudden you're, you're that close to the team, you start following them more closely. And, you know, I started wanting to, Cover them, write about them. As like you said, I was writing about all of the different teams at the time more broadly. And so I, I think I joined the site called Celtics Life at the time dot uh, com. And, you know, they had a really good editor at the time who really helped me kind of hone stories and write better and you know, pump out content uh, more consistently and get it out to an audience that was actually reading it at that time. Um and, you know, I started really thinking at that time about getting into journalism. I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do after high school and took a writing class around that time that I really liked. Um, and, you know, I was always into reading and sports especially. So, you know, combine all of those things in the one career, I think is how a lot of people end up in this line of work. And being as close as I was to the games, I actually, you know, was close enough to the media section over there where I could go and meet different guys and I ended up meeting Uh, Kevin O'Connor at that time was writing for Celtics blog. And, uh, you know, I had a good chat with him. I met him. I told him everything I was doing. I was covering the high school team at the time. I was writing for Celtics life. I was tweeting my ass off, you know, just connecting with people any way I could. And, uh, you know, I was like, oh, man, I love Celtics blog. Like It'd be great to write there after college. And I ended up hearing from him, you know, a week later and said, you know, we need some help at Celtics blog now. Like, why don't you jump aboard? And I got that opportunity my senior year of high school, um, you know, 2016, that 2015, 16 season, mm-hmm. uh, I started writing at Celtics blog. So I was really, you know, I got into Syracuse not long after that, um, started writing more at Celtics blog. And I started with CLNS about a month later, they were doing a post game show at that time that was on blog talk radio. And, um, you know, they would take callers. It was after every game, and I started going on there quite a bit. And I ended up starting my own podcast uh, around that time as well, meeting Nick Gelso. And uh, you know, there was a lot of collaboration between CLNS and Celtics Blog back then. So that was really how I got my start covering the Celtics and really, you know, dedicating myself to that.
0: Yeah, great. It sounds like your career trajectory is kind of aligned with the ascendance of the of the Celtics post. Pierce and KG, where you sort of started blogging in that early Brad Stevens like Marcus Smart rookie era, and then as you've ascended, you see like Isaiah Thomas, some really fun years there. Um, And now you know you're a a prominent face and voice in the locker room and in the post game interviews. Just as we've got you know MVP candidate and Jason Tatum, and and the team has really ascended to to their ceiling as well. Not to say that you're at your ceiling at all, Bobby, but just uh, that's an interesting uh, alignment there. So then, what's that journey like? Like going from I'm a fan of the team. I'm going to games regularly. I've made the decision that I want to start covering the team. And then fast forward a few years, like you're chatting to players regularly. You're like a like I said, a familiar face in the locker room. And then to add to that, like to what extent are you still a fan of the team? Because we do get a lot of media folks on and they talk about once they start doing this professionally, their fandom does dissipate to some degree because it's a job, which is fair enough. So what's that experience
1: been like for you? Yeah, so I'll start there. I, obviously, I still have um, the Horford jersey behind me here, and nice. you know, John gives me some crap about it sometimes. No, I love it, man. It's great. And, and <laughs> listen, it, you know, the, you can't you can't deny where you came from. I, I was a Celtics fan growing up. Um, through those years, the Isaiah years, especially, you know, blogging about the team there. You're still pretty entrenched as a fan. I was probably still going to games as a fan at the time. Uh, You know, still watching games on TV with friends. You know, you're there, you're you're like a fan. Uh But you know what the job is, ultimately. And there's there was never a time once I started writing and once I started podcasting and everything else that I was going to give them the benefit of the doubt or, you know, act like the world revolves around the Celtics or... um you know, just defend them at every turn, or you know, even just root for them on the airwaves. Uh, you know, it's just not the job. You know, like that's that's not what you're you're there to do. Um, once you're once you put yourself in those positions, especially if you want to, you know, do it at a professional level, mm-hmm. which I obviously did at that time. So it was fairly easy to shed that. Um, especially when you get closer and closer to things and, you know, (laughs) you meet these people and you see the inner workings, it does kind of demystify it a little bit Mm. at the same time. You know, you still grew up with such a passion for this, that, you know, like I, 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 get really excited about being there. Like I try to, you know, appreciate despite the fact that I'm there, you know, dozens and dozens of times every month or every year, um, at the garden every other day in a playoff series, that this is really special and that, you know, this was a big part of, you know, what you grew up on. And at the end of the day, if the team's doing better, obviously we're continuing to travel and cover the team every advancing round. And, you know, of course I'm sitting there during game seven saying, we're about to cover the finals for a second straight year. Like, obviously I want the Celtics to win this game right here. And it was a bummer that they didn't. Uh, So listen, you, you check yourself at the door, you check your biases. And you take off your fan hat when you're doing your job. That's really all it comes down to for me. Um, you know, even a guy like Horford, who I, you know, I'm close with the family, obviously, and stuff like that. Friends with them. Huge fan of him growing up. If it comes time to criticize Al Horford, I'm going to do it. And he did actually see in the final interview yeah. after Game Seven, we went at it a little bit right there. Like it's just part of the job. And I think this team does a great job. I thought of respecting like the media and their role and everything and i think this beat which obviously is comprised i think of, of a lot of people from boston a lot of former fans does a pretty good job of kind of taking off the fan hat and doing things in a professional manner like i think there's a good give and take in that locker room that was really um you know helpful for me continuing to kind of grow into my role here and you know do it at a higher level and this really was the first year where i was able to kind of be adventurous and do things like freely the way I wanted to, because honestly, you know, it was challenging during the pandemic covering the team the way we were. It was great to be able to jump on the post game show, you know, while they were in the bubble and just fire that up and that be kind of, you know, how we were covering the team at that time, mm-hmm. but I wasn't able to meet anybody and network and kind of, you know, develop stories and sources that way, never mind interview people on a consistent basis. And it was the same deal In 2021, you know, we're not even in the building for half that year. Then, when we get in there, everything's on Zoom. And then last year was very similar, especially for me, a guy who was just starting to get in there. Uh, We we didn't have much access. Of course, the locker rooms were closed, but everything was still on Zoom. Only a select number of media could actually be at the press conferences, and you know, I was not among them. So I just kind of had a fight to get Zoom questions in, and it really wasn't that often I was able to. So I got really frustrated at times that year um, with how difficult it was for me to get the access I wanted at that time. And everyone was wondering if things were ever going to go back to normal, but, you know, Nick and John were always in my ear telling me to stay patient and stuff like that. And once the playoffs came around, it did open up in a big way and I was finally able to, you know, get in there and kind of do the job the way I wanted to. Um, And this year was great. The amount of people I was able to meet, the amount of stories I was able to do, the amount of players I was able to kind of have face-to-face time with and, course a handful of Celtics I ended up developing pretty good relationships with with this year too which was you know really what it's all about like you want to be able to interview these guys spend a lot of time with them and you're not always able to do that but the time where you're able to is really valuable
0: yeah again an alignment with uh with the Celtics there so early in your career you sort of knocked off course briefly by the pandemic of course we saw the same thing with Jason Tatum who was just starting to ascend and then COVID hit and it, it sort of Interrupted his trajectory there as well. So it's, again, it's interesting how there's an alignment um, between the two there. I imagine it's a pretty competitive industry, Bobby. I think a lot of folks write about the Celtics, but only a limited amount actually get to be in the locker room or travel with the team. Were there any major barriers that you had to overcome,
1: um, like to get to where you are now? Yeah, definitely. I think last year was it was that big one. Um, you know, I really wasn't part of the beat. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I wasn't considered. You know, like a a part of the group of people who uh, covered the team on a day in and day out basis. And I do take a lot of pride in that because, uh, you know, listen, you know, we've had some great people covering the team over the years at CLNS. Um, You know, Kevin O'Connor, like I said, was part of the Garden Report way back when. Uh, in the earlier versions of it. And Jimmy and Nick, you know, were guys on the ground at that time. And even Jared Weiss back in the day, you know, was covering the team with the Garden Report and CoNS and Celtics blog. So they were the ones who got the foot in the door so I could even be there in the first place. Um, But, you know, enough time had passed. Jared had left. Kevin, you know, went to the ringer and all that. So there really was a period of time there where, you know, Joe Sway, you know, like he's been a constant. I think he's been a big part of you know, keeping us on the ground there and keeping the coverage rolling through the years. But, um, you know, like for someone to be there day in and day out at practices, at shoot-arounds and stuff, the way like the regular beat members are, like the Globe and Athletic and everything else, we weren't at that level. And I, you know, was able to get the opportunity to do that and show the Celtics that like, you know, we're serious. We're about this. We're just as much a part of this beat as anybody else there. Um, So that was what uh, my goal was last year that was really what my job was last year was to show them that you know we're doing this at a high level and you know we deserve to be there in the scrums and the practices and everything else and we ultimately were able to prove that and then this year um like you said it's competitive and my goal this year was to break one story like if if i could break one story that was going to be um really meaningful to me. And it happened pretty quickly in training camp. Uh, You know, I broke a few signings, um, you know, some of the the little key stuff like Samanich and um, Justin Jackson or whatever. There was a couple of signings, Uh, but, you know, that was, that's, you know, that's how you get started. And, um, you know, that meant a lot to me throughout the year. I think there were different things I was able to report on, Uh, you know, Grant's injury uh, around February, like just different stories I was on top of. And, You know, there's some great reporters in there. Jared's amazing. Gary Washburn's awesome. Uh, Himmelsbach's really great. Uh, You know, there's just a lot of talent in that room. And to be able to go in there and, you know, it is competitive, right? Like, I think there's compared to decades ago when I think there were really intense rivalries Mm -hmm. and probably a little bit of animosity. I think there's definitely a friendliness in the room, which is, you know, and some good and the bad to that. Uh, It definitely helped me. Um, you know, learn and grow alongside different guys who have been doing this for a long time, which was good, but you know, there's a competitiveness too. You're trying to write the best stories. You're trying to break news. You're trying to, um, Get eyeballs toward you, as you said, in a very crowded field, not just the amount of people that are on the beat, but the amount of people that are covering it online and in blogs and podcasts and everything else. It is hundreds upon hundreds when it comes to the Celtics. So, differentiating yourself, I think, can be a barrier too. You know, back to your original question, Mm -hmm. I think I think about that a lot in terms of how am I going to differentiate myself a little bit here. But a lot of it has just come down to being prolific and being on the ground and being there and asking the amount of questions I do that. You know, that's not something a lot of people are able to do, um, so I take full advantage of that. and uh, Luckily, I think I made a lot out of this year. One, there's still a lot of goals I still want to meet going forward, uh, but in terms of that first year, really, we're able to do what we want to do, um, like anyone else on the beat, I thought we did a great job, and I'm still really proud of the coverage we, we put out there this year.
0: Yeah, you guys do a great job. And like one thing in particular, all the videos that you guys put up on CLNS of all the post-game interviews uh, f- through which you feature prominently, that kind of insight that you guys deliver for for fans like myself that we actually get to actually be in the room digitally and hear like um, candid responses verbatim from players is huge and not something that's always been available. Uh, and yeah, you obviously had a killer year, Bobby. And as someone who's been watching the team, Really, like quite intensely since 2008 to see you sort of come onto the scene, and then this year hear your voice and see your face so prominently and regularly throughout the year. I think a lot of people um, were stoked and really rooting for you there. So it's good to see. We're excited to see what you bring um, next year. You mentioned that it can be competitive amongst those on the Celtics beat. Do you find that you're like you're probably one of the younger guys on the beat, younger people on the beat? Do you find that your youth? Like helps you with rapport with the players, for example.
1: Yeah, to some degree, I think the biggest difference you end up discovering. I thought it would help more than it did, actually. Um, In some cases, it did. Like uh, me me and Grant got along pretty well. Um, He ended up being a you know guy that I talked to quite a bit this year. Um, Smart, similar. I know he's a little bit older than me. Um, You know, Brandon Tatum, they're my age, but there's just such a gap, I guess in uh, status and lifestyle, and certainly money, and all that, that I do think ends up differentiating you a little bit more than age. Um, so it doesn't make you buddies with these guys across the board uh, just because you're the same age. But, you know, I do think it gives me um, kind of a perspective of how they live their lives to some degree based on like the generational stuff, social media, um, kind of what's relevant you know, culturally, um, memes, stuff like that, like stuff that just, you know, the way we communicate, there's, there's definitely little things I hope that I think that help, um, in terms of like being able to go at things in a way that's relevant to them, like, you know, whether it's the music or whether it's the, um, you know, just kind of what's important to people our age and, Uh, there's some strengths to it for sure but it's not like I mean me and Tatum were born in the same month and uh, me and Tatum really didn't have much of a rapport this year like I think you know we got along well in the scrums and stuff and I got some good answers from them but it's not like we were ever chatting on the side Um, you know like there's still a gap there I think in terms of their status and how big they are and this is across the board in sports media I think now that is a big wall between the media and the players uh, rather than any age differences per se.
0: Yeah, it's so clear how well media trained all the players are coming in now. I think Tatum's been a really obvious example of that league wide. Like every question that's thrown at him, he's quite good at deflecting it and sort of considering his answer in an instant and never really giving too much away is there some sort of like counterpart to that on the media side where you guys are uh, partaking in like counter training understanding the media training from the players and sort of collectively getting together and finding out ways to to get around that for lack of a better term
1: yeah, for sure. Especially if a question gets ignored, I think a good follow up is always going to be the the way to go there. And if that takes a little bit of a practice. I think Joe this year too. That was that was so crucial. You saw some of the answers he gave. Sometimes it'd be one word, or it'd just be like completely shutting something down. And yeah, you, you you gotta be you gotta be ready and fast with it. And that, that was definitely a challenge because I thought email the year before was as easy as it got to, you know, get good perspective on something or just a really good quote in general. I mean, he definitely spoke his mind to a high degree, Uh, but with others who are a little more cliche, maybe, or uh, good at sidestepping stuff, you you definitely want a good follow-up question. That's always going to do it. And, you know, sometimes I think, especially with Tatum, you find out what makes them click. And for him, I think you really got his best answers when you were trying to get some perspective on him, trying to stack up to the greats and what a lot of the accomplishments he was rattling off throughout the year uh, meant to him. Like those, I think were some of the best moments um, that he provided. Cause you know, I think that is really what drives him is trying to stack up with some of the all time greats. And um, you know, he, whether it's his, you know, admiration of Kobe or some of the other great players, uh, those are the moments I think that he really took time and gave some genuinely great answers on. Are are those um, you know high moments throughout the year? I think across the board, this team struggled, and I don't think it's any coincidence that they finished the year the way they did with figuring out failure uh, or. You know, pointing out things that needed to improve or being on the same page about what needed to improve. That stuck out a lot to me. And more often than not, when it came to bad losses this year, I thought across the board, the team's general message was "Ah, just move on to the next one. You know, we'll be fine. Mm -hmm. Just, you know, throw that one in the trash and we're on to tomorrow until they couldn't anymore. And it was funny, you know, me and um, another guy on the beat were laughing about the way Smart reacted to game seven where he was like, yeah, you know, we're going to go look at the, f- I actually asked the question. I was like, you know, um, we, we need to get better going forward. And he's like, yeah, we're going to go look at the film and, uh, <laughs> you know, and figure it out. <laughs> it was like the season's over. Like, you know, that going to the film and go moving on to Mar didn't work anymore at that point. Like there was obviously something, I think Horford admitted it too, that just didn't go address this year. And, you know, back to your question about being a fan and, um, you know how that factors your coverage factors in your coverage i think in previous years i was really optimistic about where things were going and uh it was easier for me to kind of support what was going on there um with the with the team this year became difficult and you know, I th- I definitely think I built a little bit of an edge in terms of some of the criticism I, I sent at the team, and even just some of the t- you know tough questions I was asking in the room because I I just had a sense this year that something wasn't right, and it, it started early. It was like, yeah, things are going great, they're shooting really well, but the defense doesn't look right, and th- there's just sort of like a unevenness and an inconsistency. And certainly as the year went on, a lot of bad losses that made you wonder what's going on with this guy, this group.
0: Yeah. I'm glad to hear I wasn't the only one who felt that way. <laughs> it certainly uh, transcended uh, the the American border there. We were feeling that down here in Australia too. Um, yeah. So then what's next for you, but also I'm more also curious to hear about what do you think sort of next in terms of the evolution of the, the sports coverage industry? Again, like talking about your relative youth on the beat. The, it feels like from a fan perspective, the way the team is covered has sort of remained the same for a while, with the exception of some things like CLNS posting post game interviews on YouTube. That's, that's been great. How do you see the industry evolving over the next like 10, 20 years? And then where do you see your ideal role in all of that being?
1: It's tough, right? Because I think my job, the one I worked in last year is going to become less and less relevant. Uh, and you see that already now. I think a lot of, uh, Athletes not only handle their own messaging uh, in various ways, but news I think is just such so consolidated between uh, you know Woj and shams that you know <laughs> like news breaking is a priority, and I think it's what people want. You know they want that at their fingertips, and that's why shams and woes make the money they do and mm-hmm. get the attention that they do but they also get all of it. Uh, and, you know, that was a little daunting for me coming into this year because I'm like, how am I going to break something before Woj and Shams? It's just not going to happen. And fortunately, it was the little things that gave me the ability to do that. Um, so I think that's the first challenge is that we're not crucial to these guys. And that's a development that's been going on over the years. And I think it's only going to continue to happen as, as these guys have more ability to put their message and their brand out there. I mean, you know, Tatum doesn't need the beat to promote his shoes. That's very easy for him. Uh, So what you're trying to figure out and what I'm trying to figure out, of course, is like, what, what value can you give to these athletes to where they're able to give you news or give you a story or give you an interview. Even a lot of the time, Mm -hmm. like I didn't really, I didn't get to interview Brown and Tatum all year. And, um, you know, I didn't really have any big stories, uh, to pitch to them, but, I think it would have taken, you know, something very convincing for them to be able to sit down. Like I know Brown sat down with um, the New York times. I mean, the New York times, is the New York times. So if I'm able to get to a place like that, eventually, you know, I'll have a lot of ability to kind of do the stories I want to at the highest level, you know, with Browns and Tatums and the stars of these games who people are most interested in. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's one way, Um, you know, relationships, I think are going to important too. like, in Brown's case, the ringer piece he wrote with Logan Murdoch was a guy kind of, he had a long-standing relationship with. Sure. Um, so, you know, that's another way I think around kind of the wall these guys have built up in front of them. Uh, and then, you know, I think for me right now, it's just been a focus on the role guys. Um, you know, like I think they still have value in those relationships that the stars in this game don't. Um, so I think that is a big reason I was able to get close to a lot of, you know, some of the more, um, you know bench role guys on the on this team, so I think that's a good way to start working myself up a little bit and start you know focusing on some smaller stories on on the team. Like I think I wrote some great Derek White profiles this year. I think I wrote some great with Cornet profiles this year and Grant and and such. So it's tough. Like it it really is a tough industry that I think uh, there's less money being committed to. You saw with the athletic layoffs mm-hmm. yeah. um, last week. And I think from an athlete perspective, there's less and less of a reason for them to um you know really talk to um, media at all. Uh, so it's just consolidating in a way that you really need to do this at a high level to be able to survive in this field, and that is a big part of what drives me to you know do such a great job is I know that this isn't gonna be here forever. Um so like you you really have to make those relationships. you really have to put that compelling stuff out there and really build a name for yourself or else, you know, you're just going to kind of get lost in the crowd here. Mm -hmm. Yeah,
0: absolutely. The the thing that bothers me about athletes having total control of the messages they're putting out is that like you guys, at least from my perspective, a lot of the time it feels like investigative journalism and that you're traveling with the team and you're sort of searching for truth um, the whole time and, and you're doing your best to relay that truth and those messages to the fans. And without that being filtered through you guys, you truth tellers, and the athletes having total control of their message, it feels like we're only going to get this like really uh, player-controlled narrative the whole time, and we're not going to get those insights, that truth that you guys deliver on a regular basis. So you talked about it's the challenges in, in finding uh, value from the player's perspective. There's still so much value from the fans' perspective, and I, I think I can't see that going away anytime soon. Like Basically, when there aren't games on, you guys are all we have as far as like what's going on with the team. Who's saying what? What's rumored? You know, How should I think about these rumors? How should I feel about these rumors? And I don't know what I would personally do without that level of content. So from all of us sitting at home, there's like a high, high value in what you guys do. And uh, we're really, really appreciative of it. Um, Bobby, we, we are going to wrap it up there. I did have some rapid fire questions for you, but uh, I think we've answered all of them. Um, I've got one for you here. Is Bragg going to use the 35th pick in the upcoming draft next week, or do you see it being packaged in a trade for for Beal or, or Beef Stew? <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: I don't know. I think they'll probably try to move up if there's a guy they really like. I don't know how much ammo they'll put behind that because they don't have a lot of second round picks into the future after some of the deals they've made. Uh, so I don't see that happening. I think they'll just use 35. They'll actually pick a guy, I think, this time uh who who will be able to play it's nice how it worked out they traded 29 but they ended up with 35 Mm -hmm. from portland so they really didn't move back all that far to acquire brogdon and you know i am intrigued by that i I love the jd davison pick last year i think that for where it was 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 a bit of a home run and uh, not to overstate it too much but they did good at that spot if you can do good at this spot again i think you you end up with a guy that I think can play a little bit for you, not a ton, not a guy who's going to move the needle at all. Um, but I do think you could add a guy to your bench that's uh, you know cost controlled and can maybe play a little bit. I haven't dug deep into this draft. That's kind of the um, impact of covering a team that plays you know close to June and is picking thirty five. Is that you you know draft coverage isn't really way up on your priority board? But I am going to be cramming quite a bit over the next week here to you know throw some names out there. And I will say. Back in 2021, I think it was, or maybe 2022, one of the guys I highlighted for the Celtics second round pick was Austin Reeves, Ooh, uh, okay. who ended up being pretty good. Uh, and <laughs> I'll say. I think would have fit right in on these Celtics.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think just not having to guarantee the salary of whoever we choose in the in the second round, if we do make that pick, um, also adds value, given right. the upcoming constraints there. So that's something to keep an eye on. All right, let's wrap it up there. Uh thanks uh, for tuning in that's going to do it for this one you can find Bobby on Twitter at real Bobby Manning along with all of his great work on CLNS Boston Sports Journal and Celtics blog Uh, Bobby this was great man thanks so much for coming on that was really interesting
1: yeah thanks for uh, thanks for having me on I I really enjoy talking about this stuff
0: yeah yeah likewise All right. thanks to Jake Eisenberg as well Uh, we will be back with another pod early next week and we will be live streaming the draft so keep an eye out for more details there catch you next time go Celtics